What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Episode number 219, just wrapped up a series against the Kansas City Royals. Got swept. Uh, yeah, got swept. So we are going to talk about the trade deadline because I feel like that is probably the most topical thing that we can talk about outside the games that just happened. And let's be honest, there's not too much to take from those games. So it's been a pretty busy trade deadline for the Mets, especially if you're a Mets fan, you know what's going on. We talked about the Max Scherzer and David Robertson trades on the last episode. And since then, we do have a few more. Justin Verlander, Tommy Pham, Dominic Leone, a bunch of names going out. We'll go through all the details, all the prospects, everything for you guys on this episode. Make sure you are following us on our TikTok, Instagram, uh, and Twitter at MetsUp on all of those. If you're listening to us, nope, that's not what I say. If you're watching us, New York Mets YouTube channel, go subscribe over there. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review. Want to see some reviews in there? Download and subscribe. James, bring you in a little bit of a remote episode here. How are we feeling? Mm -hmm. I mean, how could we be feeling? I think that it was it's just kind of the same sentiment that we talked to you guys about the last episode. And also, thank you guys for all the great um, support and the great comments we got for our last episode. More of more of like a wide wide scope zoom out episode rather than like this like game by game pitch by pitch thing we usually give you guys very cool to hear hear everyone's reaction to that and just what we were talking about but like we said last week it's it's not the it's not the moves that are being made that make us upset it's the reality of the season that makes us upset this is a yeah. a team that had high expectations everyone knew that everyone knows that 100 games last year and seeing it be torn down in august is is painful it hurts it does hurt it hurts us as fans but i still i can't I definitely can't be upset at all with the general direction that the team is taking. Just the fact that a heel went in the ground and it, like something's being done in a very, very concise and direct manner. No, there was totally a way where this deadline could have gone opposite and it could have compa compounded what was a problem or what was going on. But instead, the Mets were able to turn this around and turn it into a positive now. Again, positive with big air quotes, still like, you know, fighting to try and get into the playoffs. And it's going to be very, very difficult. But the idea of getting rid of Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Tommy Pham, Mark Cannon, all those guys, and being able to get this real, like, I want to say, like, hall of prospects back that are very, very good at every single level, it's really nice. It's something that's, like, fresh, and I feel like we haven't seen too, too often in Mets history. We talked about when they did, like, the last big sale, and, like, we talked about the Addison Reed trade and the guys that they got back for that, and it was, like, nobody. Granted, very different than Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, I know, but the the idea that the Mets were able to move these pieces and get significant players back is super important, and it's going to help move this team forward quicker. And it's it's the number one thing you need in baseball: sustainability, sustainable winner, sustainable winner. You look at the teams are the best teams in the league right now, and again, this was our strategy, and I thought it was a strategy that was going to be pretty close to working, but they're just not the teams that spend the most money generally, and we, we still have the second highest payroll in the league right now, even with all the deductions and. It's still us and the Yankees, top two. And you know who's not in the playoff picture right now? Us and the Yankees. It's still the <laughs> Orioles, team we're going to see this weekend. It's the Rays. It's the Dodgers. Even though the Dodgers usually are that team, they're a little lower this year, and they're still having one of their best years. Look how good the baseball the Giants are playing. Look, look what the Diamondbacks are building out there in the desert. And then look at a team like the Padres, who's also totally underwhelming. A team like the Phillies, having a good year, but definitely further off. A team like the Braves, their own division, who keeps reloading, retooling, and using these players that you get internally. Like The best way to build a winner it's homegrown players, homegrown prospect. It's stars for free. Like that's the key. That's how you. That's how you get these like critical moves upward. This this Orioles team again. We're gonna talk about it a lot at the end of the show, but I think they're just a good lesson for teams who are trying to build yes. winners. Every single position, there are too deep of guys they develop themselves, and they keep calling more guys up, and there's still more guys down there. It never ends, and probably a little disappointing trade deadline for Orioles fans. We did hear at the eleventh hour that they were involved in the Justin Verlander pursuit. I think that would have been a pretty 
pretty big exclamation point for them in the middle of their season as they head towards their first playoff berth in over 10 years. But you see Gunnar Henderson, and you see him by being backed up by like a Jordan Westberg, and then you see you see freaking uh, Adley Rushman. Like, yeah, I'm forgetting there. Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo. Like, the no, list goes on who, and on. Who's the other infielder? Who's the other infielder I'm forgetting right now? Jordan like Westberg. No, star. Not Jackson Holiday. Star. He's in the major leagues. Who would like third for them? What am I doing? Gunnar Henderson? Right I said what Gunner are you talking Henderson. about? Uh, I guess I'm just totally making up in my head because it doesn't exist. But yeah, but yeah. Jackson Holiday, Kobe Mayo, these guys are even here yet. They're probably perennial top 10 prospects. They just, it's just a system. It's going, it's going, and it's going. And then when your farm system gets better, your farm teams play better, you develop better and more and like better teams. Like mm-hmm. it all, it all starts from the ground up. And I think that as an organization, and again, I think it was the right move. I think it was exactly what I, any of us would have done. Any, any same baseball person would have done when you inherited this team, this roster, this organization. The farm system's not that great. We can't really make that many trades. Throw as much money at the problems in the major league roster as you possibly can. You do have a legitimate core and see how many games you can win. Last year worked really well. This year it didn't. I don't really think that these rosters are really that different at all this year and last year. We know they're very much the same. It's just you, you miss, you're missing two big pitchers. You lost about 400 innings. Then you got Kodai Sanga. Then you had more innings from Justin Verlander you're going to get from Jacob DeGrom. It really wasn't that different. It's just the execution wasn't there. The way it started wasn't there. The feeling wasn't there. And it's you really think about where Steve Cohen's background comes from in investing in point seventy two. Yeah. And you, you don't when when you have you, when you have a stock that's now the winner, you don't ride it down all the way. You get out and you recoup as much value as you possibly can while things still have some value. And that's exactly what we did. We talked about it with Max Scherzer, and we should really def- start here with the Justin Verlander trade back to the Astros. Yeah, no, I mean, like like you were saying, the the ability to recognize what was going on and try and fix a problem and turn it into a positive is exactly what happened. And the Justin Verlander trade is a really really good place to start. The biggest move outside of Max Scherzer that the Mets made, the biggest one anyone made, spoke to you guys. Yeah, big. The two biggest moves of the deadline, very much so, were Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander going on the move to both teams competing in the ALOS. It's going to be wild to see those two guys now pitching against each other in big games, trying to win the ALS division, maybe even go to the World Series for either of them too. But the Mets obviously traded Justin Verlander back to the Houston Astros. He exercises no trade clause. He was very public about how there was only really one team he really wanted to go back to. If there was any, it was the Houston Astros. So when that was put in front of him, he was like, okay, that makes sense. And the Mets get back Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, who are both very, very, very good prospects. Drew Gilbert, a top 100 consensus by pretty much every single baseball publication out there. Ryan Clifford, a guy who will dive in deeper a little to these guys too, but just a quick overview. Ryan Clifford, a guy as well, who was drafted a little bit later, has a lot of hype, is starting to get some helium here, but just hasn't hit that like top 100 prospect status yet, which truthfully means absolutely nothing. It's nothing. just it's just like an accolade, really, at the end of the day. It was also a bit of sweet feeling coming up on this day because it felt like there was some steam to a Verlander trade. We were together hanging out, and we even had a conversation. That it kind of just felt 50-50 because we still hadn't seen the Mets like put their foot in the ground and kind of say that, we're really going to be much more focused on the future and the present anytime during the Steve Cohen era. So this was going to be the moment that was really going to feel that way. And then when it did happen, I definitely had a bit of a pit in my stomach. But the second I saw this return, everything washed away. And just a, yeah. a wave of actual, and you, I don't know if you guys are going to call me home or call me biased, but a wave of real excitement came over me. Because yeah. these are, outside of the Mets, outside of the work we do for this podcast, two of my favorite prospects in all of baseball. Two guys who came Literally. out of the last draft who I loved. Two guys, if you guys are in any of my Dynasty League, some people listen to this podcast are. I have these guys in every single Dynasty League. <laughs> like, I'm in the Dynasty League. Shout out Matt Eddie. I hope he's listening uh, with some, a lot of the Baseball America guys. But these are my first two orders of business. We're going to get these, these two guys in my roster and a team, poor team I inherited this year that's really on the upswing right now. Gilbert is the kind of player every single 
person wants on their own team that no one dog. ever wants to play against. First He's round pick at University of Tennessee last year. Really thought he was going to take that team as far as they could go. Hit that huge grand slam. When was that, Mark? You remember, right? Uh, yeah, he hit the big grand slam. I think it was, might it have been against, was it against super, Notre Dame? The in the, yeah, I think it would have been against Notre Dame. That or He had a big home run. He's got a lot I, of passion. We can't, we, can't, we, can't, we can't talk about the Notre Dame-Tennessee series. That's still, that's still no, I know, move. that one. But, that um, one hurts. But yeah, the dude's got a lot of passion. Like I was, I put you on to Tennessee baseball last year. And as soon as you watch this guy, you're like, oh, Drew Gilbert? Dog, yeah, like, dog, like, dog, dog. The guy. And then dog, you watch him dog. The stats are amazing. But all these guys, these superstars, you have to see their college stats are amazing. So it's really not even worth mentioning. But his data is insane. 90th percentiles last year in Tennessee in his swing decisions. That's his chase rate, his end zone whiff rate, and his exit velocity. 90th percentile and max and average. So this is a guy who, even though he's a little bit smaller, he's about 5'9", another addition to Short the Short King. King kingdom that we're building up here in the Mets minors. Drew Gilbert, me, Jet Williams, Luis Angelacuna. It's a, it's a monster slot of, uh, of short kings, but he's just a freak. Everything he has. And he just completely tore high A to shreds when he first went through the system. And he went to double A and he struggled a bit, but he had an elbow injury. And he also, that's that's the biggest jump you're ever going to make in the minors from A ball to double A. Double A is like, this is really when like the major leagues are happening right now. And I have a scoop from an Astro source that said Jose Altuve during his rehab stint there, Basically, was like, we need this guy in the major league team as soon as possible. I want to play baseball <laughs> with this guy as much as we can. Jose Altuve is a Hall of Famer, and he was really impressed with him. And Gilbert, he's a good center fielder. He might stick there or wind up just being a plus-plus guy in the corner with speed, athleticism, great routes to the ball. He he has he really, right now, is probably a top 40 prospect in baseball, I would say. I think that this little lull in double-A, even if anything else, was just even the buy-low window. It's probably the buy-low window for you guys in Dynasty Leagues because... We just we talked about it on Sunday with Luis Angel Acuna. Like sometimes you're old, you're young, and you go to a level and it kind of smacks you in the mouth. Then you get injured, and it's kind of hard to play catch up. He'll play. He'll get a second stint there. He'll go on a hot streak right now, and you won't even remember it happened. Like this guy is all the makings of every of everything you want in a baseball player. Yeah, he was one of my favorite picks in the first round last year. If you go back to my old YouTube videos, and it's like simply because the the production is there. You've seen it happen on the field. He has like all the intangibles that you love. I'm going to keep mentioning dog. He just is a dog. Like for those of you who may not be hip to the young lingo, like when you're got that dog in you, that means he's like built different. Like this is someone who's just, he goes out, plays extremely hard, hard on his sleeve, bat flips, like all the, he's just trying to win and he wants to rub it in your face. And those are the kind of players that I absolutely love. Drew Gilbert, absolute stud. Someone that we've been talking about so much, so much off, off of the podcast about like, this guy's fun. This guy's great. It's, it's great that we got to bring him into the Mets organization. And Gilbert was linked to this trade almost immediately. When these rumors began, I want to say like, what, midday Monday? Even late night like on Sunday? one of their three good prospects, to be yeah, fair. <laughs> he, he was the best prospect in the organization. And it was like the reports early in coming out were like, Drew Gilbert likely to be involved in this trade where that happened. That was all hearsay, of course, but it did feel like that was going to happen. The kicker in this trade, and I can't stress this enough, it made me almost fall off my chair when it actually happened, is Ryan Clifford coming back in this deal. Ryan Clifford's very unknown, and he's still in high A. He's not on any top 100 prospect list besides for the one that literally only used data. No scouting, just data, just stats, and they spit them out. Prospect larceny and scout the stat line come to mind there. Two, two good resources I use a lot for Dynasty Leagues. But Clifford, bit of an obscure path. Someone who I don't even think the Astros themselves expected to sign when they drafted him last year. 11th round pick in 2022. They dropped a $1.2 million bonus on his head as a Vanderbilt commit. They took a little bit of money basically from every single one of their picks. Almost every other pick in their pool was under slot, and they gave this to Clifford, who wound up having the second highest bonus in their entire class behind Drew Gilbert. And that bonus is equal $1.2 million to about the 50th overall pick. So a second-round pick makes a lot of sense that he, as their 11th-round pick, would still have their second-highest bonus. And he completely mauled 
a ball this season. He went right through it. Very advanced hitter, a lot of power, 337, 488, 457 slash line, 25 games with basically the same numbers of walks and strikeouts, 75% better than league average. Immediately got the promotion to high A uh, in early May after a month playing there. 16 home runs and 58 games there already. The guy yeah. has all the makings of being this complete, like quick riser, meteoric prospect. I think he's still either 19 or 20 years old. He's absolutely knocking on the door of double A. I mean, these are guys that you're going to be hearing Vito and John talk about on Future of Flushing a lot because they're just going to be putting up big, big numbers consistently. And Ryan Clifford, when we were working on the little TikTok and stuff that we made about him, hearing the bat or the ball come off his bat, I told him, like, it sounds like it sounds like a gunshot. Like, it, the, the sound that it makes is just so distinct where it would make you turn your head if you were out of field watching him hit. He's just a huge, strong dude. And again, a little inside info from someone I know that knows him. He's all about ball. He's all about ball. He doesn't want to mess around. He doesn't want to deal with any of that other stuff. He's like, I want to play baseball. I want to be really good. And then I just want to relax. Like, that's my lifestyle. Another guy, focused. Love to hear that. All about the ball. And another scoop from an unnamed uh, Astro source. Said cold-blooded killer, perfect for New York. Love it. Love that. Love it. And yeah. we're, we're again now we're, we're talking about stats, we're talking about intangibles. But you go under the hood, and again, Ryan Clifford looks like someone who should be easily a top fifty prospect in baseball. He had a max exit velocity of almost one hundred ten in his summer showcase circuit before he got drafted, which had him in the top sixty of prospects ranked by Fangraphs and the top hundred by MLB Pipeline. Even going into the draft, he just yep. dropped the eleventh round because usually guys who commit to Vanderbilt do not leave because you get committed and, to Vanderbilt and you're really good. Like you're going to be a top twenty, thirty pick guaranteed. Yep. If you're not usually signed in the or picked in the first round, most of the time, like every round that goes by a high school guy, most likely becomes less and less likely to sign, especially depending on where they're committed to. And like you said, Vandy is a powerhouse, powerhouse. And you keep going down. You keep looking at what he's done already in his first stint of pro baseball. And there's a stat we got per Baseball America. One of the best stats I've seen of any minor league player has given me confidence recently. He's one of only very few minor leaguers so far this season, any level to have a whiff rate below 25%, a chase rate below 24%, an in-zone whiff rate below 24%, and a 90th percentile exit velocity above 106 miles an hour. Anyone listen to TikTok? I just said the exact same thing word for that I said <laughs> on there. But I want you guys to hear it because this guy is incredible. He's not on the prospect list. He's very underrated. But he has all the makings of a guy who's like floor is just a guy who matches the major leagues, corner-type corner guy. He has a good approach, good back-to-ball skills, serious power as someone this young and this advanced. Like, there's a real world. And I'm not going to say, this isn't me saying anything bad about Gilbert, Luis Angel Cunha, and the other prospects we acquired. There's a real world that in six months, maybe even by this time next year, Ryan Clifford is the prize that the Mets got at the 2023 trade deadline. I'm not even kidding about that. Like, he even is athletic enough to stay in the corner outfield. Like, he has everything. He's a cannon for an arm. You guys should go back and watch those, like, clips of him in, uh, what was that, like, the uh, in Team USA or yeah. uh, whatever baseball academy he was with, Pro 5, I think it's called. Him taking batting practice, it sounds like he could kill a person. Like, the ball <laughs> explodes off his bat. It's a terrifying sound. I wanted to keep some so of that TikTok loud. because it's so jarring, but he's not good content. And it's I, I almost fell off the chair when we got him. He's he was the second best prospect in the Astros organization. The Mets got the two best prospects they have for Justin Verlander. Big reason for that, of course, is because we did send a lot of money with Justin Verlander. Jim Crane basically said that the dollars that went along with Justin Verlander made the trade impossible to decline. Which, well, and I think, honestly, I th well, go. I think this is what we're talking about too now because this is something we haven't seen too often in baseball, and something Ever. that Steve Cohen might be changing the game a little bit here yet again. We saw him throwing out the contracts in the offseason. Players love it. You see him now throwing out money to get these guys onto other teams so that he can get these top-end prospects back. Because you have to understand, if the Mets did not pay Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer's contract, you were looking at absolutely nothing back. You were looking at they're getting a bag of balls back. There would be little to no return 
whatsoever. And to get these high, high end guys back, like you have mentioned, makes this payment totally worth it. And me and you have discussed a lot about why it is. I'll let you talk about it a little bit more, but spending that money now allows you to save a lot of money later, which sounds crazy, but it's very true. And the bottom line, before I get into the nuts and bolts of this Verlander money, we were going to be paying Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer like nearly $90 million next season. And now we're just only going to pay him about 45. So that is 45 million less dollars that's being paid to these guys. I know it just leaves two gaping holes in starting rotation, but we saw what the results were on the field with those two guys in the team this year. It's the famous quote that uh, I think the Pittsburgh Pirates general manager said to Ralph Kiner after he had one of the best seasons in baseball. And he went in asking for a raise. And he said, hey, I'm one of the best players in the league. I'd like a raise. He was like, oh, how do we do this year? He was like, we're in last place. And he goes, okay. I think we come in last place with you. And we could definitely come in last place without you. <laughs> That's it. Like it was—it's a hard decision to make. And we, there were a lot of quotes from Steve that I want to get to and his uh, press availability from Wednesday night too. But again, nuts and bolts of this Verlander money. We sent fifty-two and a half million dollars of ninety-three million dollars. Verlander is owed to Houston. Thirty-five million of that is for the rest of this year and for next year. A big chunk of that being next year's contract. And then if he throws one hundred for the innings next year with the Astros, I think also doesn't have any right arm injuries. Is actually words in the contract. We pay half of the thirty-five million dollars he's he would get at twenty twenty-five, and, and that's because it's a vesting option because the the option yes. automatically kicks in if that stuff happens for those of you at home. Yes, and like again, it hurts. It's painful. It's not a good feeling as Mets fans having a year with such high expectations after the way last season ended. But it, in the reality of it is, so much good happened from these trades. So there's so much more flexibility. No one wants to hear that, especially if there's any Red Sox fans yeah. listening. The word flexibility probably sends a chill down your spine. But there is, you have, you have more potential to do more things now. You're less locked into this stuff. And being locked in, like the Mets fans who were upset, would you have rather stayed locked into this exact core for the next three years? Or would you rather have pivoted and tried a new strategy, gotten creative? And I, I for one, think that the creativity is going to help this team a lot down the line. I heard Steve Cohen said a lot, sustainability, sustainability. We want to build a sustainable winner. We want to be winning for a long time. And getting what has now become the basically the three best prospects of the Mets organization, three guys who are... Clifford's probably going to, he's no, we know he's going to Brooklyn, but I have, I have a feeling that we see him in Binghamton before the season's end. Three guys who are really pushing the upper minors, three guys who could be with good play, pushing for promotion as soon as 2024, and if not for sure by 2025, with high, high, high end ceilings and pretty reasonable floors. It's, it, it's, it's something that we haven't seen really in baseball, a team pulling three prospects like this, the trade deadline. And I think it's something that's definitely going to get the attention of a lot of people. No, 100%. This is going to change a little bit how people view these big contracts. Normally, you take a big contract to get somebody along with it, not paying a big contract out to get someone back. So be interesting to see what the trade deadline looks like in the future. It was a relatively boring trade deadline if you weren't a Mets fan, but there are still more trades to talk about. We got rid of a couple outfielders as well. Tommy Pham going to the Arizona Diamondbacks in exchange for Jeremy Rodriguez and Mark Canna going to the Milwaukee Brewers for that ever-so-coveted pitching prospect that everyone's been dying for, Justin Jarvis. So which one do you want to start off here and talk about quickly here, James? I think Rodriguez, I mean, there's not that much to say about these guys. Uh, and again, if yeah. you guys want to learn more about them, definitely listen to Future of Flushing, coming out with episodes almost every day. John Vila doing great work over there. But the most interesting thing about Rodriguez is that he's only a year removed from getting an over $1 million signing bonus as an international free agent. Once you see a guy get that million dollars, you can kind of see that there was something in place there, some kind of thing. And he's got good hit tool, 17-year-old. Similar type of approach and prospect pedigree as the guys we got from the Marlins, Marco Vargas and Ronald Hernandez. So... Just again, a little, little bit, little, probably somewhere in between those two guys and just got a bigger signing bonus than each of them. So, hey, use that hit tool, build up that FCL team and let these guys keep going. And then Justin Jarvis, a guy who I think is someone very interesting. I want to shout out Will Salmon, Tim Britton. They wrote a great article on The Athletic shout this week Will. where they went through Tim. Ev every single trade that the Mets made and did a little breakdown of every single player they acquired. Will used my Justin Jarvis tweet, which was really cool. Hey, I got a couple, go. yeah, a couple DMs. So my, seeing my tweet in the Athletic article was like, <laughs> wow. 
that's kind of interesting. Didn't think that was ever going to happen. But Justin Jarvis, I think, has something that's very interesting. Before we even get into it, though, he is pitching a double A this year in, I believe, the Southern League for the Biloxi, Biloxi Shuckers, which is had been. They're Shuckers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I don't know what's crazier, the city name or the team name, but usually when that's how the minor leagues works. And he, that league is playing with a pre-tack baseball, something baseball is experimenting with in, in lieu of all the sticky stuff um, issues that have been going on in the last few years. So a lot of what he's done in double A was with a different baseball. We saw this similarly with everyone's favorite, uh, David Robertson trade partner, Ben Brown, and Andrew Abbott, who is pitching really well for the Reds right now in the major league. So a lot of the pitchers in that league have done very well, but something big at Justin uh, Jarvis. Drafted out of high school by the Brewers. He's picked up like four miles an hour in his fastball since he was drafted, maybe five miles an hour. Even not as that big of a guy, but he gets really great extension with a very high release point. Looks a lot like Chris Bassett. Big comp that everybody's yes. making there, but he throws harder than him. So it just has that exact same, like reach all the way down and come all the way up, like lever action in his arm. And that fastball shape is really good with that high release point. It's pretty flat approach angle, and it gets on hitters high in the zone, which is a huge weapon against hitters in the lower minors because you don't really see a lot of pitchers have the confidence to be, or the fastball shape even to get that ball up there. Distinct curveball and slider with a splitter. None of those pitch shapes are really great right now, but there's definitely a lot of development that could do there, especially with a fastball that gets whiffs. He's definitely struggled a bit with command, just using all these pitches and having that live action in that fastball. But even in double-A where everybody's using the same ball, you had the eighth-best strikeout minus walk rate of any pitcher in double-A and the ninth-best strikeout rate. So everyone's using the same ball, and he's still striking out some of the most guys in the whole thing. He's had very poor results so far in triple-A, but triple-A is a lot of weird rules. Just going changing your baseball as a pitcher, I'm sure, is really hard, and then switching to the automatic strike zone for what I believe is 50% of your game, so you'll know when you're, you're going to be lined up for the automatic strike zone. That's that's a weird adjustment for anybody, but definitely just keep, keep trapping this guy's pitches. Don't really worry about those results right until it becomes like a long time of uh, sustained ball results, and keep checking in with John Vito for how he's doing. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, good stuff back for both guys who are, you know, going to be leaving the team at the end of the year. Mark Hanna seems crushed. Really loved, yeah, really I, loved Milwaukee. We should definitely talk about those guys as well because Mark Hanna was a good Met. Like, Mark Hanna did awesome. a really great job. He had a good year and a half with this team. He's just a good player to have in your ball club. Plays plays Cheerios. In the pinch. Mark Cheerios. Like, he does everything you need him to. He helps you poop, man. He's just a good hitter. Take good, took good at bats. Had some really clutch moments. Think about that Phillies game last August when the Mets were oh, yeah. storming towards the playoffs. That was an amazing moment screamed in the streets and he's just a pretty, really good guy like he was such a good dude everything everything he did for the social justice use pride month this year was amazing see how like open and friendly he was with fans with vendors mm-hmm. with everybody nobody in the Mets organization had anything even close to a bad thing to say about Mark Hanna and Tommy Pham you guys know how much I love Tommy Pham the fact Thank that Tommy we signed my boy Tommy Pham he was arguably the Mets like fourth best hitter while he was here <laughs> and we got and we got an asset for him on the rental now he's in the playoff picture like come on Tommy go have some fun Tommy Pham lead the Diamondbacks to a wild card spot I want to see it yeah, that's uh, that's one cool thing is like we didn't trade him to like the Phillies or the Yankees or any team that like yeah. I would it would really hurt me to root for them for. I'm happy for them to play great for the Brewers and the Diamondbacks down the stretch if they really want to. I wish the best for them. And it's basically like him going home. Tommy Pham is from Vegas. I think that Phoenix is the closest Major League Baseball city to Vegas as things currently stand right now. Maybe San Diego, but the de- that that's his climate, the desert. Tommy yeah. Pham back in the desert, getting ready to go on a big run here. Last trade to talk about here before we start moving on to Estimate and maybe some of Steve Cohen's comments. Dominic Leone, my guy, traded to the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, pretty crazy. We were able to just pick him up for, you know, absolutely nothing and then trade him for an asset. Like that That right there alone is just great process. Yeah, great process. And we did get a lot more of Dominic Leone than anybody else has the last few years. That fastball shapes and plus. The slider has a 50% whiff rate. Like he's probably going to be in the late inning mix for the Angels as they push <laughs> towards the playoffs. Like, could you imagine that like Mike Trout show time's legacy is now going to have like a little bit of Dominic Leone inside of it? Like that's amazing. But cash money, dude. 
we got a pretty interesting prospect. Someone I know John's very excited about. He's definitely going to talk about on future flushing. Jeremiah Jackson. Again, crazy we got an asset for him for free. Jackson was a second-round pick out of the high school in 2018, signed with the Angels. 15 home runs and 21 steals at AA this season. Seems like the raw Pretty power cool. is very legit. The hit tool's not, though. It definitely looks like he was someone who seemed willingly was probably pretty affected by losing that year's development in COVID and also playing with an organization that doesn't really develop prospects either. Like we're going to, we're going to hook him up to like blast sensor. He's going to be like, Whoa, you guys can see how hard I hit the ball. Swing really? efficiency. That's where it hit on the bat. That did feel like the sweet spot. That was really cool. Like you guys have cool machines here. So it's going to be cool for Jeremiah Jackson to come to an organization that's really committed to player development. I have heard a lot of things from smart people this week, baseball perspectives, guys, you know, Sarah's especially being like the Mets getting these prospects is cool because they're getting a lot of prospects, but also cool because there aren't many teams in baseball as furiously invested in player development right now, especially the last 24 months as the New York Mets. A lot of smart people in a lot of good places, a lot of technology coming in, a lot of data being used. And now this is going to be, this is going to be kind of like, if we do, if this works, like we're going to see it, it's going to really work. It's going to work for a long time. If we get a big hit rate in these guys, like this is going to be a lot of fun for a while. And just, I, I can't even, I can't even believe that we're like, I'm going to think about how I'm going to say this. A lot of well, stuff came out over the last few days about where yeah. the Mets' direction is going to be in the immediate future. The rest of this year, especially 2024, especially after an article came out where Max Scherzer said a lot of things to Ken Rosenthal. I probably even gave him the social security number because he like, told him everything. But <laughs> it does seem like based on the money that's coming off the books next year, the core that's still in place. And that core is still a, a shortstop who five to six one player, a catcher who's going to be one of the best offensive catchers in the league, a first baseman who's on track for 40 home runs every single year, and a center fielder who's, again, a clean four to five win player. Four high-end position players in place. Plenty more guys there. Kodai Sangu, who now we've seen is a, is a plus major league pitcher. Again, the best closer in the league back from injury. Like, it, you don't really need that much to make that team an above 500 team. Absolutely not. And we saw that with Cohen's comments as well because he went to Kansas City, apparently had this trip planned with Frat Brothers. He was like, hey, it just works out. Oh, yeah, such a plan in Kansas City. Great coincidence. Oh, of course. And he talked to the press and he, he said a bunch of different things. Like, he's like, yeah, we knew like a couple weeks ago we were going to sell. He was like, but we want sustainability. And you mentioned that earlier. Like, that seems to be the big buzzword right now is sustainability, sustainability, sustainability. And while the Mets, like, I, I applaud them for going for it. Like, they de- there's no doubt. The Mets did not try to go for it these last couple seasons, especially in the offseason with these big signings. But understanding that it did not work out and going to make a more sustainable decision, something that just feels really, really good when we know sometimes it doesn't always happen with teams. I mean, there's teams this trade deadline that should have made moves and they didn't do anything. Yankees. No, something else Steve Cohen said specifically was like, and again, you could tell that Steve Cohen is all about the numbers. That's how he's lived his entire life. That's how he's made his billions. Smart like what we have, like a 12 or 13% chance to make the playoffs given the projections that we had. All these other teams around us were getting better. Like, were we going to sell off from our prospects and make a 12%, 13% chance, like a 20% chance? Like, that's just not a winning investment. Like, I know everyone, and again, we are Mets fans. Like, really, you got to believe culture here. But at some yes. point, it's like, you got to call the spade the spade. And I'm like, I am relieved that the Mets have, again, like I said before, put their foot in the ground and, like, done something holy. Like, no half measures. Shout out Mike Ehrmantrow. No half measures whatsoever. And, like... He didn't deny what Max Scherzer said when he was asked straight up if they'd be in on free agents like hardcore in 2024. He said he couldn't give him a promise. But if you look at the 2024 class, you compare it to the 2025 class, it looks a lot different. And again, yes. now we're, we're, back, we're back in like old Mets time where we're just looking at these free agent classes years in advance <laughs> trying to like build out the 2025 lineup. But 2024, just name a few free agents out there for you guys. Um, Corbin Burns, Juan Soto, Brandon Woodruff, That's Garrett 2025. Cole. 2025, 2025, yeah. Juan Soto, 
Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Zach Wheeler, Garrett Cole, Tyler Glass now. That's a pretty good mix. 2024 is still okay. You're still going to have uh, Aaron Nola, Julio Urias. Uh, that's kind of it for the high-end guys. Uh, Yoshinobu, I can say his name. I can't always mess up his name. Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Like, there's going to be exciting guys and definitely guys who can help Otani. build a sustainable winner. Yeah, Shohei Otani too, of course, which, I don't know, like, a little thing in my mind, like, there's a lot more money now. I don't know. I'm not counting on anything. I don't think it was ever a high chance, but, like, because it seems like he likes the West Coast, but who knows? Like, who freaking knows what's going on here? And this is the other quote from Steve Cohen I think was helpful here. At some point, we have to go win two-thirds of our games. We show no consistently along the way, so it would really be a stretch to believe that something would change now. Yeah. And like, it's, that's a pragmatist. That's a pragmatist. And you got three high-end assets and a lot of other very exciting assets for a team that hadn't shown any consistency this year. To use one of my, uh, one of my high school summer baseball coaches' favorite uh, saying of all time, the reality of the situation is it was going to be really, really difficult for the Mets to do anything right now. And they were able to turn that negative into a positive right now. And I think that's, that's really big. It's, it's going to hurt. It's going to stink for a little bit. Like, it doesn't feel great. But right. yeah, I think down the road, this is going to be the right decision. And I think we're going to be able to look back on this and be like, wow, that was, that was pretty smart. That was pretty shrewd. Like, you don't see a lot of teams make it that way. And I do also, like, want to tell Mets fans to that this, again, like, this was something that I really think from the bottom of my heart, like, was a good decision. I do. And yeah. I think a lot of the more realistic, pragmatic Mets fans believe that as well. You're seeing, the, you're seeing a lot of crazy takes going on online. You definitely know that the tenor of Mets world is nuts when Mark Healy <laughs> is someone who's like really being a voice of reason saying like, this was, this was, these were all good moves, like preach patience. Like, why are you guys leaning into all this like awful talk of like embarrassment, disgrace, all this stuff? Because that's not the case. Like sports are hard. Sometimes things don't work out. Like that's okay. That's part yep. of life. Like you walk out of your house, you stub your toe. You're not screaming like, oh, I hate my toe. I hate my deck. I can't believe this happened. You're like, all right, let me just like walk it off a little bit then keep moving on the rest of my day. And you kind of felt that with a lot of quotes that Justin Verlander gave today in his reintroductory press conference with the Houston Astros. He said, I have nothing but the utmost respect for the Mets and their organization, how they treat their players. A plus from top to bottom. So bottom, that includes us. Um, yeah. And anybody that would ask me about the organization, if they had a decision to make, I would re- recommend the organization 100%. And there was another yeah, quote in huge. that... Um, in that article about Steve Cohen's quotes on The Athletic, where about like if they thought this would affect anything for free agents to come here in the future. And all the agents said was, money talks. Exactly. That's what I've been trying to tell everybody is like, as long as you pay the guys what they feel like they're <laughs> worth, everyone's happy to play anywhere, I think, at the end of the day. Like, hey, you're going to pay me this amount of money that I feel like I deserve and you agree? Sounds good to me. I will sign with you, no problem. Max Scherzer pitched on a National League East rival for like the last seven years, came right here, no problem. Yep, just because he gave him the most money. And then uh, and then he did, did a lot of things to say when he left. So it was very nice to hear Verlander speak so highly of us and be like so, you know, I don't know. Verlander seems like a, a hell of a guy. It just it was nice to see him have those very kind words to the organization on the way out. But all this no, happened in, all together on Tuesday and led some very weird vibes Tuesday night. As um, Also in a week when Gary Cohen and Howie Rose are on vacation at the same time. For those you guys, yeah, tough. It's, been a few, it's been a few years in a row. You guys have done that in unison. Please. Please send each other your Google calendars. Please. <laughs> we got to separate. On the night when the Mets organization had a dramatic change and there was like all these feelings going on, a lot of emotions swirling for all of us Mets fans. We needed one of you guys. We needed one of you guys so badly. <laughs> Love the work that Keith and Pat do in the radio together and Keith Rad and Pat McCarthy. And Keith Hernandez was in, in rare form on Tuesday night as well. But to not have either of you guys be able to pontificate and like wax poetic about what's going on yeah. and give like the real takes. That it definitely left a, a, a little more to be desired, but yeah, yeah, this two the best series, of the best. Yeah, wasn't good. Don't really want to talk about much more than the fact that we made like Cole Raggins look like Nolan Ryan. 
Yeah. That, I mean, like, honestly, guys, truthfully, not going to talk too much about it. They got swept. Francisco Alvarez had a big home run late in the game, and uh, we lost on a walk-off block. That's pretty much all I got for you. Kodai Senga pitched, yep. like, okay, despite... They did yeah. mention one thing on the broadcast, which was cool, where Senga talked, I guess, to maybe Michelle Margot or somebody about how... Uh, learned like pitching in America, the adjustments that he's had to make that are outside of like how the actual game is played. One being that during the summer, so many games are outside that the heat is just something he's never really had to experience too often in Japan, that it's, it's very different and that he's never really had to pitch in like wet conditions. He's like, it's mostly domed inside. It's mostly like controlled environments. He's like, so learning that we saw him kind of chiseling away at his cleats with all the clay that was all stuck up in there. So stuff that's just learning, you know, throughout the, the season that we're going to see with Kodai, like we told you, but still at the end of the day, love Kodai, Codace, and uh, yeah, Mets got swept. That's pretty much it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, so we're bringing in John here for a little bit of estimate action. John, on the outside on the balcony again. How, how are we feeling out there? It's a beautiful week in New York of weather. Beautiful week. I, I've been a little ticked off with Mother Nature recently. I've just felt like it's been one extreme or the next. And I feel like we finally hit the happy medium that I've been uh, I've been looking for. So got to take advantage of it while I can before the next heat wave comes and I cannot breathe outside in the unbearable heat. But um, yeah, very nice night. What is it? It's 511 right now. This is this is the golden hour as far as I'm concerned. But um, as far as estimate goes, Francisco Lindor hit as dramatic a home run as you could hit. I, I don't think Francisco knew as he rounded the bases, but. We all knew that that home run pushed the total bases between him and Bobby Wood Jr. to 15. So giraffe neck Mark over there, Mark Luino, another dub. Mark goes up three as James just cannot. But James, that's that's a tough one, James. That's a tough pill to swallow. For, for those two, the more than double their total bases for the series and a, and a Thursday matinee was really painful for me. I thought I honestly woke up until I had it locked up. I was really excited to cut the lead into one again. That, that was your problem. A- that was your problem. I'm hot. And when you're hot, you're hot. And right now, I just, I'm pushing all the right buttons. And I love getting a little cushion in an estimate. It is a very uncomfortable feeling for me, not something I'm used to. Well, we know what happened last year. You know, you had what felt like an insurmountable lead, and then you wound up choking it away. So no lead is safe in estimate. It only takes one to turn things around. So here's our next one as the Mets head to Baltimore for the weekend. A stadium that looks a lot different than it did the last time the Mets were in Baltimore. The Orioles made left field pretty much unrecognizable at Camden Yards. Andres Jimenez hit his first home run of his career, actually. The last time the Mets went to Baltimore, this was in 2020. And if you go back and look at the home run, it's maybe nine feet off the ground, maybe travel (laughs) 360 feet, and it got out. I think Ariel Girado pitched in that series as well. Yes. Memory serves correct with his neon glasses or Rex Rex Specs, right? That's that's what they're called. Rex Specs. Yeah. yeah, the Rex Specs. Mm-hmm. So the Mets go into Baltimore for the first time since that 2020 season. Um, and there was a great stat on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball last Sunday, which, by the way, the first time the Orioles had a Sunday night game since 2018. Pretty crazy. Wow. But yeah, I think that there's been like 570 something home runs 
taken away, Balza would have been gone in 29 other yards that were not gone at Camden since they made the renovations, the changes wow. to the dimensions in the left field. So it's deep. I think it was an Aaron Judge thing. If I'm if I'm being honest, I think Glaber Torres too. Glaber Torres and Definitely Gary Torres. also hit a hit a fair amount back in the day. Um, but yeah, so I want you guys to tell me how many total home runs will be hit in this series. So we got the warehouse in play. Don't hit the ball to left field because it's not going out. And then there won't be any dramatic Francisco Indoor home runs to clinch an estimate week for Mark. So yeah, how many total home runs hit this weekend at Camden Yards between the Mets and Orioles? Listen, I mean, there might still be a dramatic home run mix in there because Lindor, if me and James have been within one or two of each other, it every seems time. like every single estimate on these arbitrary guesses that we make, and we're very, very close with each other. Three-game series in Baltimore. What are the pitching matchups, James? Do you have them by any chance? I have them in one moment. I'm just uh, I'm just absolutely in awe of Jack Flaherty's can, uh, Baltimore debut today as they fix seven. Fastest throw pitch of the year in 18 swings and misses still in the game in the seventh inning. Oh, Outdueled so Kevin Gaussman, so he's already fixed. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable. They, I, I mentioned it the other day when Mark and I were doing our stream for the trade deadline, but the Baltimore Orioles right now are baseball nirvana. Everything they touch turns to gold. Like They are what every single baseball fan wants their team to become. They can do no wrong whatsoever. Pitching matchups this series, definitely, definitely some potential for the long ball. Friday, 7 o'clock, also is getting very humid in Baltimore. When uh, August in Baltimore is always a very nice uh, climate. David Peterson versus Dean Kramer. Saturday, 7 o'clock, Tyler McGill versus... That's my boy, Dean Kramer. Saturday, John's boy, Tyler McGill versus Kyle Gibson, my boy. And then Sunday afternoon, Jose Quintana versus also my boy, Kyle Bradish. Okay. so A lot lot of interesting matchups there. Uh, I'm going to have my number. I got my number for the home runs. Shout out Cooper for the YouTube watchers. (laughs) Yes. Cooper Cooper had to get get involved in the show there. Cooper. There he is. There he is. John, James, Cooper's you got your number? Really left out with us, uh, your new baby daughter in the mix. Oh, good question. Oh, uh, he um at first he paid her no attention. He was just like, "What is this <laughs> thing?" Now <laughs> he's now he's down. He's been licking. He's been protecting. Giving her some kisses. She's been like kind of putting her hand on him, which is the most heartwarming thing possible. So, Cooper's a good boy. He's a good boy. He's a good older brother, right, Cooper? Give me a kiss. <laughs> oh, please keep that in veto. Please keep that in the video. Please. All right, but uh, I got my number. Yeah. I got my number two. John, count us down. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Eight. Six. Ooh, okay. Nice. Well, eight hopefully we don't hit seven. Yeah. Mark, Mark, draft neck, Mark with eight. James going with six. Seven, that's a win for me still. Anything that keeps James a little bit further away is a W yeah, for me. That's a win for you. I almost hit seven. I went down to six last second. That was a mistake. All right, James, let's go ahead and preview those Baltimore Orioles. You gave us the pitching matchups already. Now let's go ahead and talk about this team because they are – not the same Orioles that we last played. They are a very, very good team. And like you said, a well-oiled machine. Baseball Nirvana, they're approaching it right now. Yeah, no, I don't think they're approaching it. They're in it. They just got, I think, I want to get the final number right now because I think he finally just left the game. But Jack Flaherty's Baltimore Orioles debut. He threw his fastest pitch of the year, like I just mentioned. And now the game's over. 19 whiffs. Outdueled Kevin Gassman has been like the best pitcher in baseball all year. There needs to be a real conversation about what the Cardinals are doing wrong, by the way. Maybe we won't do it on this Everything. podcast. We'll talk about it another time. But... They have now gotten rid of a lot of guys who have immediately gotten significantly better. A lot of outfielders, to name a few. Now Jack Flaherty, a guy who was probably one of the more overrated pitchers in the league while on the Cardinals, goes to an organization that's competent and just has the best start of his career, probably. 
no, since since the, since the famous run of 2019, of course. Yeah, but, okay, that's fair. Yeah, Compass is not doing the Orioles justice. Again, I'll say it again. I love this quote. I'm going to use this a lot. I'm going to send it around. I know, I know someone's definitely going to steal it and pretend it's their idea, but this team is baseball nirvana. They are able to take a guy like Shintaro Fujinami, who by all accounts wasn't even a major league pitcher. He was walking was like bad. seven guys, seven guys per nine innings with a nine ERA. And in less than like less than four days, he is a lights out reliever in the back end of their bullpen. <laughs> Jack Flaherty was traded to the Baltimore Orioles at the deadline. So less than 48 hours before, 40, what, 44 hours before <laughs> his first start with the team. And he steamrolled a really good Blue Jays lineup and threw his fastest pitch of the season. That, that means that they fixed him in like one session. I wouldn't say fix yeah. him. We don't know what's going to happen, but like, how? Like, what is going on? Like, how could you possibly be doing this? And we talked about Flaherty a little bit on the stream. Shout out to all you guys that were in that stream. Mark and I had a lot of fun on there. Uh, that was it. Was just just a really good day of talking about baseball. A lot, a lot of good stuff to talk about. Flaherty had gone through most of this year throwing. Oh, what did I just? Come on, come on, Savant. Update. What are you doing? What you do? What are you doing to me? I just click season, then it gave me the full career. And the full career, when you go game by game on Savant, it's like <laughs> it's a lot to look yeah, at. It's chaos. But in one game here, he threw. Most colors he's thrown to start over the last month. His most curveballs he's thrown to start since April. And his least forcing fastballs besides one of their starts this year. And he threw that forcing fastball harder than he has all year. So they made, they yep. could like identify these little changes, make them, tell him. They probably fixed like one thing with his footwork. He got two, like an extra mile and a half hour fastball, like hours on his fastball. Like it, like when you hit this point, again, of baseball Nirvana, it really is that easy. Like it is. Like look at the rate of the Rays. Jake Diekman is like one of the best relievers in baseball right now. The only people who believe in him are you and I. Like, look what's going Me on. And you. Like that, yeah, like that's it. Like that was our boy. But they are a really, really, really fun team led by Adley Rushman, Gunnar Henderson, this crop of exciting young players, Jordan Westbrook, Colton Kowser, some other high draft picks that are on that team now. Uh, Anthony Santander is still one of the most fun power hitters in baseball. Even Ryan Mountcastle is someone who was elite. They built a wall, kind of ruined his whole career. Yeah. He's still... Yeah, he still decent good. My favorite uh, middle infielder, Adam Frazier, is having a good season back there. Austin Hayes is a good power. ball player. I know, it's ridiculous. Ryan O'Hearn, guys. Ryan O'Hearn has like a, is like 40% better than the league average since joining the Orioles. He's hitting yeah, cleanup for team, the, the team with the best record in baseball. This team is, uh, they're a lot of fun. They're really, really good. We got to catch them at the end of last year when the Astros were in town. Going up, uh, Framber Valdez pitching in that one against. I don't remember who was pitching for the Orioles that day. Do you remember by any chance at that game we were at? I feel. I feel like it might have been. Might've I think been it might have been Dean Kramer. I think it was it Dean, Kramer. Like Dean Kramer. But, but even at that time, they were one of the hottest teams in baseball, and that was when Framber Valdez was on like what the twenty straight consecutive start uh, quality start streak, and they broke it. We were there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like they have a filthy bullpen too. Their starting rotation is, I would say, their weak point for sure. Like, if you had to pick a spot on their team where their weakness was, it would be their starting rotation. Like Dean Kramer, Kyle Gibson, all those guys are extremely hittable. Your guy Kyle Bradish, great. I'll let you talk about him here in a second. But their bullpen is phenomenal. Felix Bautista is the best reliever in baseball right now. Probably he's absolutely disgusting. James was all That's over that years ago. I had I told Mark that Felix Batista was going to be the best reliever in baseball in April 2020. He was like, "What are you talking about?" And he watched him three times. He was like, "That's that's kind of scary." Shout out your boy Bangle too. Who told me I was an idiot as well. Doesn't doesn't know ball, but <laughs> Felix Bautista has the most the best fastball that we like basically ever tracked in pitch tracking because he's a hulking menace on the mound and his release point's incredibly high with that really really flat approach angle and the pitch is so you really don't see so you, a term that we use a lot is about heavy fastball. Like he, you don't really see many heavy fastballs that live high in the zone like that. He has a heavy wow. fastball that rises. It's 
it's, it's really unhittable. You guys are going to watch this weekend. You'll be like, I can't believe that's real. And even, even Yander Cano, they pulled Yander Cano in the Jorge Lopez trade last year, a trade that the Orioles were crucified for by the national yep. baseball media, trading someone who was at the time, the second or third best reliever for a guy who now is one of the 10 best relievers in baseball. His sinker is like one of the most unique pitches in the league with how much fade it has on it and drop at the miles. Now he throws that it's, it's really marvelous. It's really amazing what they're able to do with these guys back here. I, I love the Orioles. Like they, they've become my American league team. I watch them a lot of days a week. They're so much fun. They love being out there. I love playing ball. Another big reason I love watching the Orioles is because one out of every five days, I get my boy, Kyle Bradish out there. I've been, <laughs> I've been waiting for the Kyle Bradish breakthrough for years. Bradish is one of the best sliders in baseball in terms of his moving profile and velocity. His curveballs come along in a big way this year. And his fastball is just being thrown hard enough, like 95, 96 miles an hour to get by hitters. He's like, people are going to kill me for this. He's like, if Max Reed was better, that's wow, it. Okay. That, yeah. <laughs> that's who he is. That's who he is. He is. Cause I, I've, I've been, I've been the low man of Max Reed for many years now, but Bradish has two incredible off-speed pitches, and they've they've done so well to help him develop that fastball to get to a point where it's even league average. Even having a league average fastball with two completely disgusting breaking balls is crazy. And he's a dog. You remember last year when Aaron Judge was on his, his home run pursuit, and they were giving him every single call. Bradish was snapping his glove, yelling at the umpire, and they got yep. Judge in the dribbler, and he looked back and he like pounded his chest. And he screamed. He's like, "You're going to yeah. give that guy extra strikes? I'm still going to get him. I don't even care. Like he wants it. He's a badass. He's gonna." There's an outside chance he's starting game one for them in a playoff series. Like I, yeah. I really love Kyle Bradish. I tweet about him all the time. He's my boy. No, they're they're an awesome team. Uh, a really fun way to look at how an organization uh, organization was built, because I mean they were so insanely bad, so insanely bad for a few years. But they've been able to turn around quickly. They've been able able to turn around with homegrown talent, and they're only going to get better. They haven't spent any money yet. Haven't spent any money yet. This is where you start to get scary with this Baltimore Orioles team. And uh, we're seeing former Met James McCann back as well. We'll uh, get to see him probably taking that batter too during this weekend. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's going to be tough. The Orioles are really, really good. But go out, play some good baseball. Shock the world. Shock the nation. Let's do it. I mean, I know, the 2022 Mets and 2023 Orioles both had amazing seasons. They had one thing in common. James McCann. James McCann. James McCann is the secret to winning baseball. That's it. We always, always knew it, but we couldn't see it. Yeah, that's what it was. That was the issue. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Remember to follow us on our social media at Mets Up on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel if you want to see the video version of this, as well as if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, whatever it is, drop us a rating, drop us a review. We'll start giving you guys shout outs again if you drop those in there for us and uh, download and subscribe. All that stuff. We appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for listening, watching. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. And me at Giraffe Neck Mark with a C. We'll catch you guys after the Orioles series. Peace out. Peace out. See you guys next time.